Welcome, all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm Brandy. And I'm Chris. And this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for this week's episode, part one of Andrea Yates. Hey, Chris. Hey, Brandy. I was just thinking that you have we haven't done a show together in two weeks. It's been a little bit, there's no <laughs> doubt. I was like, it feels so distant. It feels so distant. Well, I've been a little, uh, little busy at work and, um, yes. you know, but- and we had an interview last week. We did. Um, and tonight I'm going shirtless. Another so Houston case. I said, do you want me to go shirtless too? <laughs> yeah, going shirtless. But I'm, I'm leaving it all on. Um, all right, babe. Well, glad you're back tonight. Uh, we glad have to a, be back. We have a few uh, new Patreon members. We do. Yeah, that we need Very to shout exciting. out. Jeremy Wayne. Hey, Jeremy. Mia Bickle. Hey, Mia. And Heather Dunn. Good evening, Heather. Thank you so much, friends, for supporting the show. It really just means so much to us. If you want to join our Patreon family, get in where you fit in. Just go to Patreon and search Texas Wine and True Crime, and you can check us out there. Yep. You can listen to me be shirtless <laughs> on tonight's episode only. <laughs> so, Chris, we had the opportunity. I sound different. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we all sound different naked. Um, I'm not we, naked. I'm just shirtless. Well, shirtless. <laughs> it's hot. It is hot. Um, all right. So, Chris, we got the opportunity this week to sit down with a Texas legend. We did. Tumbleweed Smith. Uh, Chris, I definitely agreed with you that we should have been interviewing him rather than the other I way know. around. But hey, it was awesome. He came to our home and you did what you do best and fed him charcuterie style. So we will tell all of our listeners at the wine recess um, what you whipped up. Okay. It was a good visit. Tumbleweed, if you're listening, thank you for the awesome interview. We cannot wait to visit again. Um but because he came over, Chris, and we recorded um, with him, and then we recorded our shows for this week, we sipped on two wines. Two delicious wines. We sipped on Sweet Freedom from Edge of the Lake Vineyard and a Sangria from Hill Country Wine Works. So we'll talk about those more at the wine recess. Absolutely. All right, babe. Are you ready to hop into this week's case? Let's hop. All right, friends, let's sip some wine and talk some crime. Okay, as always, we want to share three facts about the city our crime takes place in. And we're back in Houston tonight, Chris. Back in Houston. So let's learn a few more interesting things that Chris and I sort of just whipped up. <laughs> just whipped <laughs> They up are real facts. The top of our heads, Houston <laughs> facts. Number one, it is the human trafficking capital of Texas. Yeah, I think that probably has a lot to do with the ports that are so close, I would think. I would think so, too. Yeah. Um, number two. Chris, this was yours. It is Houston is home of the Ghetto Boys. Yes. <laughs> I love For that. For all you Ghetto Boy fans. <laughs> number three. The, and this also gave me hip-hop uh, fans <laughs> there. Yeah, Ghetto Boys are great. And this was yours, too. Anything music is going to be Chris's. <laughs> ZZ Top is um, an American rock band, as everyone knows, right? Yes. And they were formed in 1969 in Houston, Texas. They were. Not all from Houston, but they Not were formed there. Yes. Um, Dusty Hills from Dallas. Oh, okay. God, you're so good with your music and people and name of songs. 
everything I'm not good at. All right, babe. On June 20th, 2001, Andrea Yates horrified the nation when she confessed to drowning her five young children in the bathtub of their suburban Houston home. She was 37 years old. After she drowned the children, she called 911 repeatedly and then called her husband and told him to come home from work and that there was something wrong with the children. The high-profile trial in 2002 made national news. So, Chris, what made Andrea Yates do the unthinkable? Okay, this is a very difficult case. Any time we're talking about parents killing children or, you know, it's just sad. It's just heartbreaking no and sad. Um, because this just this case of, of Andrea and, and what the life they were living. So um, we have five murdered children by the hands of their own mother. This is a hot summer day in Texas. So as we move along in the story, it will become apparent that something was seriously wrong for quite a while. The signs were all there. um, But just like all of us living our day to day, we never think, you know, things like this can happen to us. So in part one, I really want to focus on what is going on in the family dynamic at the time of the murders and other outside influences that played somewhat of a part in what happened. Um, After researching this case just so many times and reading so many articles and watching so many shows on it, I feel like this tragedy absolutely could have been prevented. And that's just up to us to be better listeners and um, to just get take the signs, right? Take the signs for what they are. All right, so Andrea Yates, before she became Andrea Yates, she was born Andrea Kennedy, and she is from Hallsville, Texas. Um, she's the youngest of five kids. So she had a few, uh, the, her childhood was fine, but there were a few things that happened in her teenage years where things were shifting a little bit. So she started suffering from bulimia when she was a teenager. You know, we're girls and a little self-conscious about things, so sometimes that can be triggered. Um She also battled depression and discussed suicide with multiple people as a teenager. So friends, um, people like that. So she graduated, though, Chris, valedictorian valedictorian of her high school class. So she's smart. She was also in the National Honor Society, and she was also captain of her swim team. So she's very involved. smart. So she ends up going to college to be a nurse. She wanted to help people like you do, babe. Hmm. So after finishing school, she meets her future husband, Rusty Yates. Rusty is an engineer. Um, He's described as being dedicated, hardworking guy in high school and college. You know, people liked him. He was he was both academically smart and he was athletically inclined. Um, so we're we're talking about two smart, intelligent people for sure. Um, then they meet. They meet, they decide to move in together. Um, and then they get married on April 17th, 1993. So you've got two people graduated college, starting their careers. Um, and now they want to start a life together. 
So the couple buys a home in Friendswood, Texas. So Friendswood is a little is a basically a suburb in Galveston County mm-hmm. and in Houston. Sort of between the two, I guess is is what I kind of gathered. It's not very far from from actual Houston. I think it's like 30 minute drive, 30 45 minutes. Um so then so they have their first son her their first son was born. And that's when they decide to announce that they would seek to have as many babies as nature allows. Okay. Um, and they, so they, Why? Get, um, we're going to talk about that, but a lot of it I think had to do with their beliefs, their religion, their, they were already getting involved in this. Yeah. Life. Yeah. We're going to talk about who that is. They're the person they were, um, basically, who they spoke to about their lives and raising their kids and their marriage. And it actually started before they were even married. Rusty actually met this guy, this preacher um, in college. Mm-hmm. So they just kept in touch. So we'll, we'll talk about him in just a minute, but their first baby's born. Um, their first child's name is Noah. And he was born in February of 1994. Now, He's born, and then Rusty accepts a job offer he gets in Florida. So he gets a job offer in Florida, and they pick up and move to Florida. So by the time that – so now they're going to be on their third child, and they're still in Florida. They now are deciding to move back to Houston, okay? So you're following me? I'm they following have their you. first child. They move to Florida. Then they decide that they're going um, to move back to Houston after their after their third child comes along. Okay, so I'm like calculating all of this and like having babies and how long you're pregnant. And it looks like they were married for about two months before she came before she became pregnant with her first child. That's not very long. Not long at all. They kind of skipped that honeymoon phase, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Can you have a honeymoon phase with a child? I don't know. Aren't we still in our honeymoon phase? Oh, always, babe. Always. After. Well, anyways, they didn't give each other more time to like, I don't know, get to know each other. I don't know. So anyways, she gets pregnant very quickly. Um, And remember, she killed five of her children and they were all under the age of seven. That's a lot of kids, very young children. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. So now they're back in Houston. Now, when Rusty was in school, he went to Auburn. He meets a guy by the name of Michael Warrenecke. So Warrenecke was preaching at Auburn University in Alabama when he met Rusty Yates. Now, Rusty was there studying, right, for his degree in engineering. And he always wanted to work for NASA, um, so they stayed in touch. So Warnecke and Yates stay in touch um, over the years and even when he met Andrea. Okay. So now he's married. Now, most of the communication between these two was just phone calls. They would talk every now and then. Um, I think there were a few letters written between the two of them. But in 1998, the Yates family visited the Warneckes in Florida and stayed with them for a week. So Michael Warnecke will later admit during an interview. So he ends up doing interviews, Chris, after this incident. Mm-hmm. And it's going to, what I'm going to talk about in this case is just some of the things he just said. Um, 
I was a little taken, I was a little taken back from, but he'll later admit in an interview he did with Good Morning America that he told the Yateses that they were going to hell during their 1998 visit with them. He basically tells them that he's going to hell. He said that my primary pri- primary confrontation with Rusty was that he wasn't saved. He told him if you were saved, you'd be living differently. He complained that Yates was consumed by his work and not attentive enough to his wife and family. Hmm. Who's this guy? <laughs> Sounds a little extreme. But there um, are a lot of people that really feel like that, that if you haven't been saved, you, uh, you're going to hell. Sure. And only the people that have been saved are going to heaven. So let's talk about who Michael Warnicki is. Um, so early on in his ministry or when he was getting, and this is what I just find incredibly nuts, okay? So he's thrown out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's where he's from. He basically is keeps getting arrested. He is but he the 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 sort of the nail in the coffin was because he accosted a woman and told her she was destined for hell. So that was like that was it. They said it you, this is the last straw. We've had it with you. You need to either get out of Grand Rapids or you're going to jail. Not hell. Not hell. <laughs> that be, wasn't their option hell. for him. Um, so he decides to leave Grand Rapids. So he leaves Grand Rapids. And since that day, he and his family say they've experienced a long string of arrests. They were arrested in Utah when he they confronted some Mormons and told them that the church founder Brigham Young uh, was in hell. And then that Billy Graham and the Pope would soon join him. And then they were arrested when they went to Morocco and he had told some Muslims that they only their only true hope is Jesus. Spreading the word. Spreading the word, I guess. That's what you want to call it. Uh so Warnecki, his wife, and his six children live in a renovated tour bus and drive around to college campuses teaching fire and brimstone. His message, everyone is going to hell. That Michael, seems like a bad place to spread your message would be oh, college campuses. You think? But he actually said he focuses on them because that's where he can find people responsive to his message. Hmm. Okay. But this is where this is starting. We see this with Rusty Yates. He meets him in college. He starts listening to him. He starts listening to his beliefs. Um, a big part of Warnecke's belief system is that organized religion is corrupt, and it's a creation of man and not God. That's that's part of like his thoughts. Um, he believes that there is an alternative to that to that system. And that is, it's the living Jesus. Um, He says, Jesus is accessible through prayer and reading the Bible. And that should be your living Jesus. That's who you should worship, right? And spread the word. So Warnecke also argues that marriage should conform to what he believes it should be in the biblical definition, right? So you have the man as the head, the woman as the servant, but he says, like, people misinterpret what he means. Um, he actually says that he is his wife's servant and that he has an obligation to meet her needs, too. I don't know how much 
that's true, but that's that's what he says. Okay, to say that um, that he and his teachings had an influence on this family, the Yates family, is an understatement. In fact, Rusty took to heart so much of what this man was saying that at one point he moved Andrea into a renovated Greyhound bus where she would stay with the children while Rusty went to work. I'm glad he got out of the bus. Yeah, right. I'm glad he got some fresh air. All right, Chris. Uh, Rusty was trying to completely emulate the Warnecke lifestyle, living for a time in a bus, seeing his wife as his helper and homeschooling their children. So not only that, she had to homeschool them in a bus. I wonder how much of that Andrea wanted. Hmm. A former follower of Warnicki says his heart sank when he heard that the Yateses were connected to the preacher. Chris, listen to this. This guy, um, once once this murder, once these murders occur, clearly it comes out about their religion. Warnicki is, you know, his name comes out. People are wanting to interview him. People are looking for others that have followed him. So they find someone by the name of David de la Isla, and he followed Warnecki's teachings for about 12 or 13 years. He says that Warnecki was such a powerful influence um, on his own mind and on someone as vulnerable as Andrea Gates, which we find, which we will talk about and find out that things were not well with her for a long time. That's why I say this could have been prevented because she should have and could have got the care she needed and she didn't. Um, it, so, so this guy says that the way she was thinking, her thinking was already doomed. Like what was already going on with her mind, and then the message that they're sending um, is basically he would think in in his mind she's going to think she's doomed for hell, and her kids are going to hell too, and that the only way she could save them was by killing them. Mm-hmm. So this is from this from this guy's mouth. So this De La Isla, just like Yates, um, just like Russ Rusty. Um, he meets Warnecke as a college student. So he became very, so listen to this. He becomes very depressed and even tries to commit suicide after a 1995 face-to-face encounter with the preacher, which resulted basically telling him his own damnation, right? You're going to hell, um, you know. Even though you believe in Jesus and you're doing all of the right things and you're believing and feeling those 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 feelings of salvation, right? You're still going to hell. So Warnecke dismisses. So this Warnecke is asked about this guy. After he comes on a Good Morning America, Warnecke says, quote, I met that guy 15 years ago at a McDonald's restaurant. Now I'm responsible for his actions. And this is what really upsets me is because people's words matter. It matters who you say things to. It matters. And, and this guy, come on now, he, him and his family drive to the Olympics. They drive to big sporting events. They go all over with big banners, big signs. Their, their tour bus, 
I think says something along the lines of like, you know, you're going to hell and, you, you know, this is, we are your salvation or something along those lines. So, but I'm reading so many interviews that this guy did and he is completely always dismissive of everyone else except what him and his wife have to say. We can't control what people say. We can't control what people do. Now, granted, that's true, but you can control what you say to people. And when you have someone with what we're going to find out is such a sensitive mind like Andrea Yates and what she was already dealing with, and then you have her husband on top of that believing all of this, moving her into a bus you know, where they can live in a home. He's an engineer. I mean, there's no reason. And he, this is what ends up happening. I don't want to get into that right now because we're going to take a wine recess. But he ends up having to move her out of the bus to try to make her better. All right, Chris, let's go ahead, take a wine recess, because we're going to get into what was going on with Andrea leading up to the murders. Okay, so I said we had two wines. You did. Sangria. We sangria. had bottled sangria from our friends at Comfort Texas Hill Country Wine Works. And then we had Sweet Freedom, which is um, our friends from Edge of the Lake Vineyard right yes. there in Valley View, Texas. Edge of the Lake, if you're listening. And Hill Country Wine Works, if you're listening. We both said your name on the show with Tumbleweed. So... We did. Somebody's going to hear about you guys. <laughs> we don't even know who's going to actually listen. We don't know. We know Tumbleweed is not broadcasted in Dallas, but no. he is in other parts of Texas. A lot of small market radio. Yes. Yeah. But he has a star dedicated to him right out of the stockyards. Yes. That's pretty impressive. Okay. So, um, guys, great wine. And Chris, what did you decide to pair all of this delicious wine that we had? Well, we, we just made the Simple little charcuterie board. We did. The, lots uh, of cheeses. Lots of different cheeses. Um, it was a cave-aged white cheddar. So good. Can't remember who it was from. Uh, we always do the brie. Everybody loves the baked brie with a little apricot preserve and some dried apricots on top. Bake that for a little bit, and it's always gooey and delicious. Smoked Gouda, I believe, with another offering yep. for cheese. And then we had a nice, I, like, I think it was a herb to goat cheese. Yep. That I cracked good. open. Didn't make myself. <laughs> yeah, no, didn't, we didn't make didn't that. Didn't milk any goats and, <laughs> and let it curdle and all that good stuff. Well, tumbleweed and then. But you, a lot of other little sort yeah, of snacks. Little just, sorts. Yeah, it yeah. was it was it was a nice. I mean, we kind of. It was uh, great. I guess we uh, mailed it in that day and made a short credit report. <laughs> but it was good. Yeah, it was so good. And when we were done, um, when we got done, tumbleweed enjoyed it very much. So he sat down and. Had some and had some of the wine that we are talking about. So, friends, thank you. Thank you for sending the wine to us. We now have got to say we said we said we talked about a lot of our wine friends on the show. We mentioned a lot of the wineries when we were talking to him. We did. Yeah, we did. It's a pure Texas show. So we wanted to make sure include everybody. We did. That we have contacted. Yes, I think we did. We were pretty close. I mean, we talked about our friends in Lubbock. We talked about our. Friends at Salado, Salado, Casaro, Brownwood. Brownwood. Oh man, Edge of the Lake, Comfort Texas, plugs. just dropping plugs. Kerrville. We mentioned all you guys. We love yes. you. And babe, a few more recipes this week. Yeah? yeah, Patreon friends. We're gonna put some more food out this week. We are and wine. Okay, babe, you ready to hop back in the case? Sure, let's do it. Okay, in the summer of 1999, after Andrea has now had her fourth child, so she's on number four, 
she starts showing some major signs of depression. On June 16th, 1999, Rusty found her shaking and chewing her fingers. It gets pretty intense here. Um, the next day, Chris, she attempted to kill herself by overdosing on pills. She was admitted to the hospital and prescribed antidepressants. Soon after her release, she begged her husband to let her die when she was holding a knife up to her neck. Hmm. There's your sign. There's your sign. Absolutely. She once again gets hospitalized. Um, she's given a mixture of different antipsychotic drugs, antidepressants. They're trying to figure out what's going on, right? I mean, well, she just had. She's living in a bus. Like, yeah, one of the one of her issues, right? And she's having kids back to back to back, right? Lack of little 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 recovery. No between mom, no no spite nights or mom's nights. <laughs> if you want to know what spite night is, just email me and I will tell you. Mm. All right. Um. So she, her. So okay. So she gets these drugs. Chris, have you ever heard of Haldol? Haldol, yeah. Haldol. Okay. So she's given Haldol as one of those as one of those drugs. Um. She starts to improve. Okay. She starts. Um. She's prescribed this medicine. She starts to improve. So then she's released. So after that, Rusty decides to move them into a small house just for the sake of her health, right? Maybe it'll help my wife. Maybe I should get her out of a bus and actually move her into a home. So she seems to be getting better because of that. In July of 1999, Yates, she suffers a breakdown. She has some sort of nervous breakdown. And then following that are two more suicide attempts. And she ends up being hospitalized two more times in the psychiatric unit. Um, she is then diagnosed with postpartum psychosis. Now, I want to explain that postpartum psychosis is not postpartum depression. Yeah, it sounds make, a little bit different. It's very different. Okay. Um, postpartum depression affects about 40% of us moms after we have kids. Um, sometimes people will call it the baby blues. We've, you know, I remember hearing that. And it is a real thing. I went, I've went through it. My friends that I know, it's just, there, there, you have all of this, like, Right, you're carrying a baby around. You've got all these like good euphoria things going on. Like sometimes you don't feel, but like towards the end of your pregnancy, you start to feel really great, and then you kind of you kind of have those last couple of weeks where, you know, you feel like it's time. But then all of these like endorphins and all these feelings all of a sudden fall out of you. Right, your baby comes out. Now, now you're 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 shifting into a new role. Right, your mind is shifting from being. A baby carrying one to now taking care of one. Oh, the mind is a very powerful thing, right? If we don't acknowledge it and we don't pay attention to it, sometimes it can it can kind of get us in trouble. So postpartum psychosis is not postpartum depression. Um, postpartum psychosis can be very, very serious. In fact, one in 20 women may try to harm themselves or their baby when they're diagnosed with postpartum psychosis. Um, you start to think things are there but aren't there. You start to make up 
scenarios in your head of, you know, do am I, I mean, it, it can be anything. You just start imagining things that are not real, okay? Um, your risk of suicide can rise greatly a year or so after you deliver your baby when you have postpartum psychosis. You can want to hurt yourself. Um, and you, I mean, or you're probably going to hurt your baby. I mean, we see this a lot. I mean, we see this with, with women and it's just very sad. And some people just don't get the help they need for it. Um, so we're talking about quite a few hospitalizations with her. Lots of different scares, different suicide attempts in this very short period of time. But now we haven't even talked about baby number five. This is all going on with baby number four. So her first psychiatrist is a woman. Her name is Dr. Eileen Starbranch. She tells Rusty and Andrea that they should not conceive any more children. Um, They decide to not take her advice. In fact, Chris, this woman in her notes wrote down the fact that they were not doing what she said. And she basically wrote in her notes, like Andrea is going to have a breakdown. Like it, things are not going to go well if they continue to treat it like this. Um, Okay. So they ignore her. They ignore her warning and Andrea gets off of her medication And then she gets pregnant with their fifth and final child. And this little girl's name is Mary. This was her only daughter. She had four boys before Mary. Um, After giving birth to Mary, she actually seemed to be doing better. But then her dad dies. Right? And we talk about the triggers on the mind when we hit and deal with tragedy. So now she is facing another tragedy, and that is the death of her dad. Chris, after her dad dies, she starts to just take a turn um, for the worst. She stops taking medication. She begins cutting herself. And she starts to read the Bible all day long. That's all she wants to do. She doesn't. She stopped feeding the baby. Um, She became so incapacitated that she had to be hospitalized immediately So on April 1st, 2001, she came under the care of a new doctor, right? So now her other doctor, they blew her off. They end up having another baby. So this doctor's name is Dr. Mohammed Syed. Now, on May 3rd, 2001, um, she basically came in the hospital in a catatonic state. She wasn't nobody. She wasn't like paying attention. They were trying to talk to her. Um, And then when she goes home, she fills the bathtub up, right? Full of water in the middle of the day. And later in her confession, so by the way, there is a 90-minute confession tape of Andrea Yates. I have not seen that confession tape. Not a lot of people have seen that confession tape. I'm sure there's not, I don't think it's out in the public. Like only certain people have seen it. Um, but I, I heard it was quite frightening with some of the things that she was saying. And one of those things was the day that she filled up this water in the bathtub. She told investigators this was the day she was going to kill her kids. Mm-hmm. And then she just decided not to. But then 
after psychiatrists spoke to her, they really feel like maybe that was the day she was going to hurt herself and drown herself since nothing, nothing other things seemed to be working that she tried. Okay, so this doctor, Syed, told Rusty that Andrea should not be left alone and definitely shouldn't be left alone with the children. Okay, it's in a report. He says it. Um, the instructions were actually to supervise her around the clock. I mean, that's pretty scary. How could you do that? So I thought about that too. Um, I know that they had family around. I know his. We're going to talk about I mean, his mother. Usually, you're committed. Well, you have. He has a job. That's what I mean, I mean. How can you do that? They just try to get help. I, I guess I, I. You know. I mean. This is only a matter of like six weeks before the kids died. I mean, we're not talking a long period of time that this happened. Um, But here's the thing, though. Rusty told family members that he didn't want Andrea to become dependent on him for the caretaking of the kids. So this is this is a problem. He wants to work and make the money. He wants to be the role that he believed he should be. Um, in part two, I'm going to talk about one of Andrea's best friends who kept a journal for two years before the kids were killed. And what she wrote down and the things she made notes of, she brought to Rusty. And she will she will testify to this in court. And she begged him, begged him to do something for her. Um. Because she told her she's not going to make it. Like, we have to do something for her. So we'll get into that in part two um, on really what, um, how those conversations were and really what, uh, just all the things that people around her noticed. Which, again, is why this is so tragic and sad. Because this is, it could have been prevented. She clearly needed help. Clearly. Okay, so... He so basically Rusty would leave her home for like an hour or so like and leave and then maybe come back or have a family member check on her. Um, But when. You know, so he wanted to give her freedom. He didn't want her to depend on him to like take care of the kids all the time. He wanted her to be the caretaker and the mother. But I don't know if Rusty really understood. Or. Or maybe, you know, when you when you have religion and you have these beliefs and then a doctor is telling you, you know, the she's not on birth control, right? They're going to have as many babies as they can. They don't believe in necessarily modern medicine, right? I mean, these are the kinds of things. They don't want it. They don't really want to go to hospitals or take their homeschooling their kids. They're living in a bus, you know, so you have all these beliefs and then you have a wife who's really sick. So I don't know. It, is it, is it just, I really think it is just like, I'm a, I don't understand it. I'm Rusty Yates. I don't get it. I know what they're saying to me, but you know, do they really think that, do I really think my wife is going to go and drown my five kids? No. Who, who thinks that? Right. Well, maybe they think the, a Lord, man? the Lord will save them. If they're not well, they do. Modern medicine. Well, they I mean, do. Right. Yeah. I mean, 
I don't know. I mean, the doctors tell you your wife is sick and you shouldn't have any more kids and you still do, you know? So it's like, what, where does it give? You know, what, why do you continue to do this knowing that there's problems? She's tried to take her life several times. Okay. Um, so giving her a little bit of freedom, leaving her home for an hour or two, you know, but when you're diagnosed with postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, and then Chris, she's diagnosed with schizophrenia. And they actually think the schizophrenia came before. Like they think it was a progressive thing. And then when she started having all the kids and got postpartum psychosis, it just took it on a different level. And you're not, Dan, she's not taking medication, right? She comes off her medication. She's trying to take care of five children under the age of seven. You know, that probably didn't feel like freedom to her. When did she ever feel free? You know, I, it's just, it's just very sad. Um, okay, so on the day of the murders, Rusty had asked his mother, Dora Yates, to come over and help Andrea approximately one hour after he left for work that day. In the space of that hour, Chris, she drowned all five of her children. The, the, the mother-in-law was, on, was coming. Mm-hmm. But she... Um, the victims, Chris, Noah, seven years old, John, five years old, Paul, three, Luke, two, and Mary, six months old. Um, in part two, we will discuss the victims. We're going to talk about the 911 call that Andrea made. We're going to talk about the trial, um, what she was actually convicted with, and where Andrea Yates is today. Chris, that concludes part one of Andrea Yates. Friends, um, oh, Chris, I wanted to remind you, and I got this from David James at the Peyton Hart Project. So I want to thank him for recommending Donate Life Texas. This is the month of April, which is Donate Life Month. Um, Registering to be a donor, we talk about this. We're donors. Selfless act of giving and an opportunity for you to you know, decide in advance that you would like to save a life through donation. Organizing tissue donations is a selfless gift that provides hope, offers healing, and gives thousands of people a second chance at life each year. Um, while more people are choosing donation at the end of their life, the need continues to be overwhelming. Currently, more people are waiting for a transplant than there are organs available. Chris, I didn't know this, but each year approximately 6,000 people in the U.S. die because they did not get the organ they needed in time. I would believe that. Um, So, so many ways to get back. First thing, become a donor. You can volunteer. You can make a monetary contribution. You can share your own personal donor story that might be close to your heart. Just so many ways to give back. Um, But become a donor. Right, honey? Yes, absolutely. Why not save a life or two, right? Mm-hmm. We want, we'd be, yeah, just give it away. Why do we need to keep it? Only if you don't need it. Well, yeah, only if you don't need it, clearly. Yeah. Don't give any important parts away, yeah, okay? Just walk <laughs> down, need just give them away. <laughs> All right, friends, check out DonateLifeTexas.org. All right, babe. Well, until next time. Stay safe, have fun, and cheers to next time. Cheers.